Okay, so last week we read about Moses coming and taking an offering um, to build the tabernacle in the wilderness. It was a season when Israel was uh, literally being hand-fed by God. God was raining manna on the camp every morning for their sustenance. They had no other way to provide for themselves. This was not a season of plenty. It was not a season of reaping and and, uh, harvesting. And yet God called on them to give to his work, and they did. And tonight... We, uh, they've now moved into Israel. They're established. They have their land. The people have their farms and they're planting and harvesting. But the Lord's house is still in a tent. He's still, the tabernacle still exists. They kind of moved it in. Um, and uh, it's still the kind of temporary um, dwelling. And David had in his heart always to, um, Bill, could you turn me down just a little bit? It's the one that says wireless love. Can everybody else feel it, like, on the edge of feedback? Um, And so they, uh, David calls on everybody to give an offering again. And again, uh, we see this kind of reciprocal relationship. We talked about last week about how ironic it was that while God is literally the one raining down uh, provision on them, that he doesn't just rain down the provision to build the tabernacle. He just doesn't just rain the materials down to build a tabernacle. He takes care of them and he asks them to take care of his work. And it kind of creates this reciprocal relationship between God and his people where he cares for their every need and then calls on them to contribute to his kingdom. And here we kind of see that same dynamic as David's wanting to build the temple. Um, part of him gathering this offering is to go to God and say, all this is already yours. You've, you give us every good gift. You take care of everything we need. Um, and it's almost a privilege to get to come to you. And so... Um, again, uh, last week we, we kind of started by um, setting up that we're, we're discussing our vision because on the 27th we're going to take a, a special offering, um, both uh, in donations and in pledges over the next year, um, to finish the rehab on our building. And uh, if you've been here any time at all, you know I hate talking about money. I hate asking for money. It's not something I do well. Um, and yet, I don't want to rob everyone else uh, by because I have a hang-up with money, not giving everybody else a chance to join in the work of the Lord and, and give. And so, that's what this is. And what we're basically asking everybody to do is to, uh, to spend this month going to God and saying, God, what do you want me to do? You know everything I have. You know everything I don't have. You know uh, every asset and you know every debt and you know what lines up and what doesn't. What is my part? And just let him speak to your heart. And something in that process is healthy. So we're setting up for that. Um, and our, like I say, our timetable is now flexible between now and that was supposed to be the 27th. That may get bumped depending on the darn chiefs. So we'll see. Um, whatever our timetable looks like, the reason we're doing this ahead of time is that special offering. But the real purpose this month um, is to engage in that kind of deep and contemplative process of saying, God, what do you want me to do? And even if God doesn't speak anything to your heart, even if you do nothing, there's something powerful in taking everything you have to him and saying, this all came from you. Like David says, this is all yours in the first place. What part do you want me to play? What do you want me to do? There's something really healthy about just that exposed prayer of God, this is all yours. This is everything I have is yours. You know what I have. You know what I don't have. You know the bills that are due. You know the money coming in. You know the whole thing. What part do you want me to play here? What do you want me to do? 
Um, there's something super, super good. Second, we laid out last week um, looking for the manna. Last week we talked about how God was raining manna down on his people even while he was asking them to bring an offering to build his tabernacle. And so for this month, I think it's important for us to, to find our manna. What do we need? What, what's your manna? What do you need? They cried out to God. They got in the wilderness and there was no food. There was nothing. And they said, did you bring us here to starve God? We need, we need. And God rained manna on them. They collected it every morning, uh, our, their daily bread for that day. And so I encouraged everybody last week to find your manna. What do you need? Go to God for the month. Lock it in in a word or a phrase and say, this is, this is our word. Esther and I locked ours down today. It took a week to, to pray through it. And, and it was one of those things where as soon as we started talking about the beginning of last week, I said, I want it to be this. And then as we prayed through the week, I was like, no, that was selfish. That's not what I want. I, this is what I feel like we actually need. And so we, we locked our word in. And so I encourage you to, to, to take that thing to God and say, God, this is, this is what I need. And if you don't have that, I suggest writing down the word manna. If you don't know what it is yet, because the word manna in the Hebrew means, what is it? That's what the word actually means. Because when they came out and there was these white flakes on the ground, they said, manna. Like, what is it? And someone was like, yeah, that's as good a name as any. And so that's what they called it. They called it the what is it. And so if you don't know what that thing is yet, if you don't know what it is you really need from God right now, then just write the word manna. Hang it on your mirror. Hang it on your fridge. And, and just start to pray, God, I... I need you. I, I know there's things I need from you every day. So lock that in. Um, because I believe this is not just an offering. It's not just us bringing things to God. This is about our relationship with God. This is about us uh, engaging and advancing His kingdom even while He takes care of our every single need. So take your manna before God. And finally... Did everybody pray for the church one every, at least once every day this week? Yes? If not, put it in your phone. I'm asking everybody, at least once a day, set a reminder in your phone to go off. It doesn't have to be a long prayer. It doesn't have to be deep and crazy. Just call out the name of Open Table Community Church before the Lord at least once a day. Set a reminder and, and pray for us because we're in a, a major transitional period in our church. We're, you know, we're trying to finish this up. A lot of our vision hinges on this, on this move. We've kind of... Uh, put a lot of our outreach and stuff on pause because we don't necessarily want to grow this uh, time slot in this location. Um, if we're just going to move anyway, we don't want to create that tension for people. And so we've just been kind of in this pause uh, where we've just been building our relationship and our connection and, and we're ready for the next step. And so this is a transitional period and we need your prayers. So set an alarm um, so we can do that. Okay, in our teaching last week, we started to look at our vision statement. Uh, and first of all, we learned that nobody had previously read it, so that was awesome. Um, uh, but we decided that we were trying to extract our why. We talked about how uh, most of us approach things from the, the what I do, how I do it, and eventually maybe come up with a why. But that the best uh, organizations, the best people start with the why. They start with the passion. They start with the, the deep core motivation, the thing that they really care about, and then they move out from there. Um, so that whatever they do, they bring that why with it. They bring the, the, that passion is at the center. 
of it. So last week our desire was to boil Open Table Community Church down to its core essentials, um, its central value, which we decided was to build a kingdom community. And the first half of our vision statement actually puts it like this. Open Table Community Church is a community organized by and around the Word of God to cooperate in the mission of God of furthering the kingdom of God. We talked about this last week, that first and foremost, we are a community. We're a kingdom community. So our very first priority is to be a people, to be a, a, a connected community of people. Our very first priority is not to be a list of doctrines and beliefs. We're not a theology. We're not an orthodoxy. We're not a list of truth statements that must be agreed to in order to be on the inside. Real life is far too complicated for that. Our faith is much too complex for that. And so our community has to be deeper than that. We have no desire to boil life down to a list of Christian cliches. We simply desire to do this life of faith together. We are committed to the reality that it's not good for man to be alone and that if we have to fumble our way through this kingdom life, it's better to fumble through it together. So that's our why. That's non-negotiable. That's the motivation for everything else we do. The how, which is what we're going to talk about tonight, can change. It can, it can, uh, it's, it's up for debate. I think you'll find that we're passionate about the, the, the how. We've got biblical reasons why we do the how. Um, the how means a lot to us, but it's not the central feature. The central, the central thing that we won't change is that we're trying to build a people. We're trying to build a community. So right off the bat, you have to ask yourself, am I committed to that why? Because if you have some other agenda, even if it's perfectly valid and biblical, if you have a different agenda than to do life with other people who are doing their best to keep their lives on some kind of course whose trajectory is toward Jesus, if you have a different why, then this church will probably never feel like a fit to you. And please know that you might not even realize you have a different why. Which is the reason why I felt like this vision series was so important is because sometimes we feel like we're on board until you actually hear it completely outlined and and laid out kind of bold-faced. It's absolutely impossible to think we're on board with a why and find out we're not. For instance, if you come here and you know I'm a fairly conservative person and you think that this would be a great church to advance the cause of conservatism, that the world needs more conservatives, and that's why you're here, you will be frustrated because that's not why we're doing what we do. Or maybe you've known me long enough to know that I'm a little bit liberal and you feel like a liberal presence in the church would be a great thing and so you're here to advance the cause of liberalism, then you will be frustrated because that's not who we are. That's not why we're here. Or maybe you think that the, the why of the church should be to get as many people to pray the sinner's prayer and to cross that line into salvation as possible. And, and really anything that happens after that is okay, but that, that's the goal is to, to get that. And that's a perfectly valid why. That's not a bad why. That's not why we're doing what we're doing. That's not the why of Open Table Community Church. If, if that's your why, you'll be frustrated. So only if you get that our aim will always be 
to be a people who live this life of faith together. This life of doubt and glory and failure and falling and getting back up and seeing miracles and holding each other when the miracles don't come. Until you get that that's what we want is a life that looks like that together, then this may never feel like home. Only when you get that the community is the goal will you feel like Open Table Community Church is your place. So don't get sold on the how or the what if you don't feel the why in your guts. That's got to be the core thing, that we're building a kingdom people. And, and our goal, whatever it looks like, whatever the other person who's sitting next to you uh, acts like, feels like, looks like, smells like, whatever, that, that be doing life with them and being a people together is the goal. That's what we're shooting for. So tonight we're going to dig into our how. And we're going to start by looking um, back at the, at the vision statement, this time the second half. This was the first language we put to the church over two years ago when we first started even talking about Open Table Community Church. So we accomplish our why by gathering in worship together around a common teaching and a common table, by living in fidelity to Christ and one another, and by working together to bring reconciliation to the four relationships broken by sin in the fall. The second, this second half is what we'll study tonight. Much of our how is right here in this statement. And I think that we will do, we'll probably take it just a piece at a time and, and kind of break it out and then we'll see where that leads us. So the first part, we accomplish this by gathering and worship together. By gathering and worship together. We want to be a worshiping people. As I'm sure you can tell, we put a lot of emphasis um, on our music. We practice a lot, we sacrifice time, we stretch ourselves, and we take it very seriously. And this is actually much deeper than just worship, because worship in and of itself is a very private and personal and individual thing. It's something we do corporately, but, but how a different person experiences worship is, is very unique to each person. Some people worship well in, in a big arena with lights and smoke and other people hands lifted, jumping up and down and singing at the top of your lungs. I'm one of those people. I love that environment. Other people worship in quiet, some in nature, a hike, getting out and looking at God's creation. They find that God is much more accessible in that. Some people worship in silence. They do best in, in a quiet atmosphere where they can hear God speak to them. Some worship through art. Some in watching their children play. Really, anything that magnifies God in your vision and turns your heart toward Him is worship. Anything that makes Him look bigger. When you stand in the mountains and you look at the mountains and your first instinct is, God is amazing. That's worship. That's what worship is supposed to do. It's supposed to magnify God in your sight. It's supposed to make Him bigger. And whatever that thing is, whatever makes God bigger in your eyes is worship. So in no way do we put a ton of time in our music here at OTCC because we believe that our worship will be everybody's individual cup of worship tea. Like that's not what we're trying to do. We know that not everybody likes the same music. Not everybody likes the same songs. Not everybody, you know, is going to kick on a worship CD when they're driving to work in the morning. We know that. 
In fact, you've probably heard me make fun of Caleb. Has anybody ever heard me make fun of Caleb? I'm not a Caleb fan. It drives me batty. I can't even really listen to it. I'm not, I don't, in fact, I don't really like Christian music at all. I, I don't like, I love worship music. To me, I differentiate worship music from Christian music because Christian art, I feel, is really thin. I feel like a Christian should have everything to talk about that a non-Christian has to talk about. You know, pain, love, lust, depression, anger, you know, joy, like all the same addiction, like all the same things someone else has to talk about. We have to talk about too, only we also get to talk about God. But it feels like most Christian art, we forget all the other stuff and we just talk about God. And, and I feel like we're missing a big part of the human experience. So, so a lot of times Christian art kind of drives me crazy, but I consider worship music to be totally different. Church music to be totally different. It's not the Christian pop stuff that Caleb plays. That like I, I actually love listening to worship music because ultimately of our why. That's why I love worship music. Because I feel like... Uh, Music is an instrument that creates a people. I think it's a really powerful tool for making uh, a people. The very first thing Israel did after walking through the Red Sea and, and really kind of for the first time becoming a people was to sing. Moses sang a song. Miriam sang a song. They sang and danced together. The nations sang together. It was the, the very first thing they did upon, you know, basically saying, hey, look, we're free. We're our own people is they, they made music. And the Jews actually took music so seriously, they took their music so seriously that they canonized it as Scripture. Like it became the Word of God to them. Like their, their songs that they sang together. So it was totally natural when a group of Jews began to see Jesus as kind of the culmination of their faith, uh, for them to sing together. The book of Acts is full of times when they gathered and sang hymns and Paul quotes hymns in, in his writings all the time. He, he quotes and probably wrote some of them and uh, the book of Revelation is full of songs that they were singing and, and it, it's, it's been a part of the church as far back as you go that worship is one of the things that that binds us Together, that music is one of the things that draws us together. Paul tells the Corinthians to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Music's always been a unifying element. It's actually true outside the church. If you go to a concert and you see 20,000 people all singing the song, same song together, it's amazing the, the unity that you feel there. That's why we have genres in music. It, it's more than just... Have you ever... Listen to someone else's music that's not your style of music and you literally cannot find anything appealing in it. And you're like, what? How do they listen? I do it with my son's music all the time. They'll, they'll put on, Dad, listen to the song. And I'm like, ah, is that even music? Oh my gosh, what was that? You know, it's, and it's horrible. And, and I'll kick on, you know, some country music and <laughs> Elijah starts to gag and vomit and it's a, a terrible thing like and it's and it's and it's because it's not just the music it's the culture of the music that you you feel part of that culture i'm a redneck i grew up a redneck when you kick on and i know that some of the music's not the best music and some of the lyrics aren't the best lyrics but but i i i feel that culture I, i feel tied into it i feel a part of the whole scene behind it and all the genres are that way. Whichever type of music you pick, like you can almost, you know, it, it almost looks like a cookie cutter. You go to a concert and, and, you know, 
if you were deaf, you could walk into the concert and know the kind of music you're there to listen to. Like, you just look at the people. You look at the culture. Like, oh, yeah, this is clearly, you know, hip-hop. Like, I, I can get that. Oh, yes, I'm obviously at a country concert, you know, because cause it's more than just the melodies and harmonies and instrumentation and, and the music. It's, it's something bonding and binding in the music. And I think that's the way our worship is. I think the reason we take worship so seriously is because there's something powerful about... Have you ever been in a room full of Christians when somebody starts to sing Amazing Grace? It's literally like the Spirit comes down. and it's, I can't even fully explain it. Like everybody knows it and everybody feels it. And nobody, when you sing Save the Wretch Like Me, nobody is debating the means and methods of salvation in that moment. Nobody's arguing soteriology. They're just... They're all going, yeah, he saved a wretch like me. Like everybody gets it. It's, it's the thing that, that we all understand and we all connect with. And whether it's modernized or you play it on piano or you plunk it out on a guitar or you sing it a cappello, the song is just who we are. We are the people who were, we are the wretches who were saved. And so we, we become the music and the music uh, makes us a people. You'd be amazed how many, how many times that Judy and I will talk about themes that come up in our music, how just on the feedback we get from people and the response we get to certain songs, we'll, we'll be talking to them. Have you noticed how like, the, the songs that are really hitting right now all just kind of have this, this theme, whatever this theme is, you know, of this, this theme on identity, God, I am who you say I am. And it seems like we're drawing back to these themes in, in a lot of our songs. It's like our music kind of tells us where we are and, and it, it binds us together. So in short... If you worship well in church, if, if, if you sing this kind of music, this is what draws your heart to God, great, that's amazing. But if not, if, if that's not really how you connect to God through corporate worship of church music, um, it's still a huge value to us because it's one of the things that makes us a people. We are the people that sing these songs together. That's, that's one of the things that shapes us and makes us who we are. It's one of the things that binds us together. Our music at Open Table Community Church will never be a performance. We're not trying to put on a show. That's, that's never something we're trying to do. We want this to be about all of us singing together. It's the how we accomplish our why. It's how we become a people as we sing together. We, we sing the same lyrics. And so that actually comes into our... I don't have my pointer tonight. I can't believe I forgot it. But um, it comes into why we're designing the church the way we are. We have a very simple stage. We're, we're not doing the big drama with the, you know, the smoke and lasers and the fancy lights all over the back wall. We want, I, we, we're almost, if it wasn't for trying to create a nice clean separation for the kids, so the kids knew what was off, off limits and not off limits, we were going to go with no stage. We want it to feel as much like everybody is part of the worship team as we can. We don't, we don't want it to feel like we're the ones singing and you're the ones, you're the audience. We want it to feel as much like we're all singing together as possible. So we're designing our, even our decor and design to draw the whole congregation together, not to, to put all the focus on the stage and make it this, this show or this performance that everybody comes to enjoy. We want it to be participatory. We want everybody to, to draw into it and to be part of it. So we're minimizing uh, a lot of the stage stuff as we can to just make it feel like we're all worshiping together. 
It's reflected in our space. Just so you know, over there, that little part where the stage is on the side, that's where the drums will go, if you want to envision it. They'll go over there on the right. Um, the piano will probably go on the left. be a setup similar to this. But uh, the screen right there is in the center. We're going to try and put it on the two side walls, I think, and angle it out a little bit. We're still playing with that if there's room. Because that back wall we showed last week, we're going to do that wood wall design. Should be pretty cool. But that's what we're looking for there. And we'll come back to this picture in a bit. The second part. So we gather in worship together around a common teaching and a common table. A common teaching. We chose this word common intentionally because it serves our why. That... It's more than just studying the Bible. I hope everybody studies the Bible. I hope you go home and study the Bible. Studying the Bible is a good thing, and we should all do it. But there's something different about studying the Bible together, about a common teaching. And this has actually been a part of the core vision of Open Table for years and years before we knew there was an Open Table. Um, Because this is kind of instrumental to uh, being a come-as-you-are church. We want people to come with whatever hang-ups, whatever behavioral issues, whatever lifestyle they, they have. And, and we want them to come and be themselves, completely themselves. We, it doesn't matter what denomination they're from, what they believe theologically, what they, uh, what they do in their free time, whatever. And it's not because those things aren't important to us. Those things are actually very important to us. Like it's very important to us that we get our theology right and that we believe what the Bible says and, and that we do our best to live holy lives. Those things are very important. So it's not because we don't care about those things. It's because we actually trust the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. And we believe if we gather together under a common teaching and we just study the Word together and we just let the Word do its job, we don't have to be the Holy Spirit for people. We don't have to, when people come in here and go, you know, you shouldn't do this and you need to stop doing that and you need to clean this up. We don't have to do that. If we'll gather together around a common teaching, we just let the Word of God do that. The reason, the reason we want people to come exactly the way they are, exactly with what they're struggling with, exactly with what they're believing and doubting, and, uh, is because we think, we honestly believe if we study the Word of God together, the Word of God will handle that. And we believe this because the, the Word of God is, is bigger than a theology. It's bigger than a... You can't break it down into a nice, clean you know, list of five things you have to believe. The writer of Hebrews says that it's living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and exposing the inner thoughts and desires of the heart. At the root of our desire to create open table is a desire to sit under the Word together. We believe the Word of God will deal with everything else if we'll just study it together. And I personally believe the power in the Word of God is in studying it. It's in actually staying in it. It's in committing a life to to being people of the Word. I don't don't think you can memorize 20 verses and, and, and that change your life. Although I believe Scripture memorization is awesome. I don't think you can break it into a systematic theology and, and have it truly change your life. Although I love theology. I love systematic theology, even though it's very Western and way too categorized for some people. I, I tend to like that. I don't think you can 
quote it in a meme every day on Facebook and, and have it change your life. I think what changes your life in the Word of God is just staying in it year after year, day after day, just staying in the Word and letting it shape you. And, and it's in studying it for a life and sitting under it as a congregation for a long time that the Word truly becomes powerful in our lives. So we, we sit under a common teaching, but also we sit around a common table. And this one I'm going to try to be fast because this one actually goes pretty deep and pretty broad, you know, which makes sense since it's part of our name. But this, for one, means we're sacramental. We, we believe in the sacraments, um, which a lot of people don't really understand in the Protestant church sometimes. Um, and they're pretty highly contested. The Catholics believe in seven sacraments. Lutherans believe in three. Most other Protestants believe in two uh, most modern, in my opinion, evangelicals really only believe in one, the, the sinner's prayer. That's really the only true sacrament to an evangelical. If you say, what must you do to be saved? Well, I have to confess with my mouth. And if you don't do that little work, then you're not really saved. And so most evangelicals have one sacrament, the sinner's prayer. I, I tend more towards St. Augustine, who he, he cited at least 600 sacraments, basically saying that you know these, any of these things can can bring down the grace of God. And, and so basically what a sacrament is, if you're not familiar, is it, it's, it's believing that what we do matters. Believing that what we do has a, a spiritual effect of some kind. It believes that... So if, if you were dying of thirst and somebody came and gave you a free glass of water and you took the free glass of water, you're still thirsty. Like... Only when you go through the act of drinking does your thirst get quenched. There, there's something you have to do. And, and sometimes the sacraments get mixed up with works like, oh, no, if you have to do something to be saved, that's a work. And, and that's not what the sacraments are. They're saying there's this way that I access and, and touch and, and, and experience the grace. And that's a sacrament. And, and so it's this thing we do to, to actually kind of apply and experience the sacraments, and, and so we believe, that's why we lay our hands on our kids. We don't believe that some weird magical power comes out of our hand and into their body. And we just, but the Bible says to the laying on of hands, and, and people laid their hands on children and blessed them in the Bible. And so we, we believe that there's something in that. There's something in the, in the laying on of hands that's beautiful. And we, we believe it, it, and can God bless them without the laying on of hands? Sure, but it, it helps us to as we pray for them, to put our hands on them and bless them. We believe that what we do matters. We believe these little things are sacraments. We believe that you can care about the poor all day long, but until you give to them, you know, something in that act, and could God find another way to give to them? Sure, you know, could, but there's something in the act that is powerful. What we do matters. It's a sacrament to do it, and, and, and it brings a grace. When Jesus says, when you do this to the least of my brethren, you do it unto me, you know, that's not a literal sacrament. What he's saying is there's something in our relationship that, that works better, that happens more powerfully when you do this thing. When you, there's something sacramental in this act. And so we, we believe that here. We believe that, that the little acts, the little things we do have a power to them and and it's not rational. It's not something we can explain. If you come to get prayed for, there's a chance we'll put oil on your forehead. 
It's because the Bible says that if, you, if you're sick, come forward and the elders will anoint you with oil and pray for you. And so we believe that. It's, it's a sacrament. We don't know what it does. There's no magic in the oil, but, but we believe that it, it ignites our faith in some way to do it. And so we do it. We're sacramentalists. So when we gather around the table uh, every single week, it's, it's because Jesus said to do this, to remember me this way. So, we, so the, this common table is just, it kind of stands for the fact that we believe there's something in the actions. We believe there's something in the, in the, the things we do that's powerful. And so we gather every week to, to take bread and to take grape juice. And, it's, and yeah, it's probably just bread and grape juice, but there's something in the act that, that is good for us. And so we gather around a table because we're sacramentalists. We want to be the community that remembers, that gathers to do that. Totally lost my place here. The second reason we gather around a table, and this is why it's in our name, is because there's something equalizing about a table. We all eat. Whether you're rich or poor, black or white, Republican or Democrat, man or woman, whatever, we all eat and we all sit down at the table and we have to take our nourishment the exact same way. We put it in our mouth, we chew it, and we swallow it. There's something when you sit down to eat with other people that it's, you're all the same in that moment. And so there's something powerful about that and we want to be that people. And the last is because it's cruciocentric. It keeps the cross at the center of everything. No matter what we talk about, no matter what we study, no matter how far off track I get, no matter how many bunny trails I go down of philosophy and science or theology or whatever, at the end of the night, we're going to come back to a broken body and poured out blood. It's going to keep the cross at the center of every service that, that we can't get too far off track because at the end of the service, we're going to be right there talking about the cross again. And we become the people who remember and that's the biggest one. Jesus said, whenever you do this, you do it in remembrance. And we want to be the people who remember it. it. It forms us and shapes us as the people who remember him. So those two things, the common, the, the worshiping together, gathering, or those three things, worshiping together, gathering on a common teaching, gathering on a common table. That's our Sunday activity. That's what shapes us as the people on Sundays. The next two is more our Monday to Saturday Stuff. We accomplish this by gathering and worship together around a common teaching and a common table, by living in fidelity to Christ and one another. Faithful living. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where theologies and philosophies and theoreticals are pretty meaningless. Can you imagine how thin it would be if your spouse told you how much they loved you and broke it down systematically how much they loved you while they were being unfaithful to you? Like, do you think you'd come to a point where you'd be like, you know, I, I'd take the faithfulness rather than the love. Thank you very much. Like, faithfulness is, is like that. And I think it's important because I think we do that to God all the time. I think actually the, the, word I, the reason I like the word faithfulness is because in our marriages we don't expect perfection. Like, I don't expect Esther to be perfect like I am. Like, I don't expect her to, to I know she's going to make mistakes. I know she's going to make me angry. I know there's going to be times when she fails me and, and when I fail her. And, and there's nothing in, 
in our marriage where we expect perfection. There's nothing where, where I expect her to do it right all the time. And yet I do expect faithfulness, as does she. So, and I think this can be helpful in our relationship with God because sometimes we talk about faithfulness to Christ like it means never messing up and never you know, failing Him and never doing anything wrong. And I, and I think... I think we all know that we're going to fail, we're going to fall, we're going to screw up, we're going to mess up. And I think it's possible to do all those things and still stay faithful to Christ when we, when we fall and, and we get back up and He's still the one and He's still the one we, we focus on. He's still in the middle. And, and so when we say we want to live faithful to Christ, it doesn't mean we want to live perfect. We know that's, that's unattainable. What it does mean is, is through this journey, He stays in the center. He stays the one. He stays the one I'm true to. He stays the one I'm with. We know we're going to make him angry. We know we're going to fail him. We know, we know we're not always going to get it right. But that's not faithfulness. Faithfulness is saying there's no other God before you. You're my God. You're my one and only. Faithfulness is not perfection. Likewise, in our community... We know we're going to upset one another. We know we're going to disagree. We know we're going to make each other uncomfortable with some of our theological interpretations. We, we're going to fail each other at times. We're going to get frustrated with one another. Living in fidelity to each other isn't about perfection or, or some weird unity where we all agree on everything. It's about saying, these are my people and I'm going to stay with them. I'm going to stay committed it means that I show up when my people need me. I come running. So basically, this is the, the communal side, the, the everyday living side of loving God and loving people. We should love God and love people whether we're in a church or not. That's just what God asks us to do as individuals. That's, that's the heart of everything we do. But as a, as a community, as Open Table Community Church, that plays out in faithfulness. As we build a kingdom community we express our love for God and people through faithfulness, through saying, I'm here. I'm, I'm here for you. I'm not always going to get it right. I'm not always going to say the right thing. We're not always going to agree, but I'm here. So how do we become a kingdom community? How do we accomplish our why? By doing the church stuff, by worship, by gathering around a common teaching, by by doing the sacraments together, and by living as real people Monday to Saturday, keeping Christ at the center when we do well and when we blow it, all the while living faithfully with one another. This is our how. The final piece of our vision statement, the what, is what we'll talk about maybe next week, maybe in March, I don't know, at some point. With the rest of the time tonight, I want to look at one piece of our church I really don't get to talk about enough. And I'm going to be quick about this because uh, that's our kids. Um, and first, we talked a little bit about this last week, but if you weren't here, this wall, uh, so the one with the door in it that we added, um, that's partially for community building because it's going to be our casual space. It's going to be where we sit to drink coffee and talk and chat and hang out. Um, it's going to be set up like a coffee shop, totally um, totally easy to, to be comfortable. But it's also for our kids because we always want kids to be part of our church because I believe all this same stuff that shapes us as a people shapes our kids 
as a people. It's what makes them part of it. It's one of the reasons we bring our kids in here for worship. We know it's distracting. We know that moms probably don't get to worship as as comfortably as they might if they if our kids were in children's church the entire time. We know that you know sometimes you wrestle your kids all day all week long. The last thing you want to do is come into church and spend the first 30 minutes trying to keep your kids from climbing all over the pews. But our kids need this. Our kids are part of our body. They're not the future of the church. They're the now of the church. They're part of who we are. They have, have, does anybody else get depressed when you see young kids that don't know any of the old hymns? That's why we put at least one hymn in every, ser- in every service. Because the kids need that history. They need to be connected to the past. They need to, to sing Be Thou My Vision in such thick language that it's almost not English. They, they need that too. They need, they need to be connected to the past. And so we want them to experience worship. Even if they don't get it, even if they're bouncing off the seats, they're gathering around the same music we're gathering around. And so we created this space where a mom whose kids are being rambunctious can sit on the other side of the wall and still hear the music, still hear everything, and still see everything through the glass um, without having to feel like everybody's staring at them because their kid's making some noise. And so... Uh, so we created that space. The reason we put windows there, the reason we're putting music and putting speakers in that room, putting everything in that room, is because we want our kids to be a part of our service. We want the same things that shape us as a people to shape them as a people. We're not babysitting them out there. We're, they're becoming the people of God. And they, they do that in worship with us. And the other part happens downstairs in their space. So this hallway that goes downstairs, on the very right, that's the stairs that go down. Um, we're going to do something that'll look something like this. So when you look in that stairway, it's going to be basically some kind of mural or something that has the kids' table with a big arrow pointing down, you know, like a big... So that right when you walk in the church and you look to the right, you'll see this big colorful draw down to the party zone downstairs um, where they'll have their space. And it's going to look... Something like this. So this, uh, I can't believe I forgot my pointer. This big open space here, that's where our elementary will meet. Um, right now it has that open uh, beam down the middle with the posts. That'll be a big black curtain that'll shield kind of the hallway in front of the classrooms from the, from the children's church space. Um, so they'll have their space over here. Um, and uh, then in that corner, upper right, will be the fifth and sixth grade room. Um, we showed some of the decor last week, kind of mid-century retro, um, a living room type setup for them to sit comfortably. And then that middle room, the biggest room, will be the preschool, where our preschool kids will go. Um, and in all of these spaces, uh, our kids are doing the same thing we're doing. They're being shaped by a common teaching. They have a liturgy. They have Esther, first Sunday of every month in the elementary room, she does a sacred space where she... She takes them through some of the practices of the faith. She teaches them to, to pray, to go for a walk, and to, to be thankful for things. She teaches them you know, to express themselves through journaling and art and things. And, and so she's taking them through sacred practices, letting, shaping them into a people. And our preschool, even all the way down to our preschool, um, I actually took a picture. Esther and Noah were setting up their, this is their, their preschool lesson this week. Talking about the good shepherd. And, and so Jesus is the little wooden thing. And the good shepherd protects the sheep from the big bad wolf, basically. And they create this, this little space. And Noah tells the story 
And then they take it apart and let the kids put it together themselves and see if they can retell the story by putting the, the little scene back together. And they'll sit there and argue about whether the sheep go inside the fence or outside the fence. And, and they, they retell the story. And, they're, they're, and so all the way back there, they're, they're gathering around a common teaching and a common table. Last year, I don't even know if Bill remembers, but it was almost exactly a year ago, Liam was barely saying anything. I think he had like four words. And we took a Sunday off for the Super Bowl because we knew that nobody was going to show up anyway. So we, all, we just canceled church. And so they sat down to watch Super Bowl. And Liam walks up with his like three words, looks at his dad and goes, church? And like, that was all he said. Like somehow, you know, a kid who doesn't know what a calendar is, doesn't know what a watch is, knows it's Sunday night. We're supposed to be at church. That's the dream. That's the whole thing right there. That's a, that's a three-year-old kid knowing I have a people. I have a place I'm supposed to be. And so to, for the kids to gather around their primary colors and, and their felt stories and, and become a people to where they know I'm supposed to be in church. It's Sunday night. Why are we watching football? I'm supposed to be in church. So how do we respond to this? First, I want us to grasp the difference between our why and our how. Worship isn't the why we're here. Worship's amazing. I love that we worship, but I hope you worship everywhere. I hope you worship not just here. And if you decide to go to the church somewhere else, I hope you worship. I hope worship is just part of your life. I hope it's part of what you do. I hope it's how you relate to God is in worship. That we're, that's not why we're here. Worship should go everywhere with you. Scripture isn't why we're here. I think you should study Scripture all the time. I think you should read it every day. If you're only getting it once a week, you're probably starving. The sacraments are not why we're here. I want you to live your whole life as though what you do matters, as though what you do ignites your faith is as though your faith is something that you practice and and live out, not just believe in some rational part of your brain, but that that, that what you do matters. Faithfulness isn't why we're here. We need to live faithfully whether we're here or not. Our why is community. Community is why we're here. Worship, the study of scripture, the sacraments faithfulness, that's how we build that community. It's the how. The why is so we can become a people, so we can become a body together. And we do that with these how elements. The second thing I want to do in response is to repeat last week and and reiterate this. I'm going to do it all month. Keep praying about what God wants you to do in this offering. How God wants you to help in completing our church. Just ask Him what your part is. Be honest and open about it. Even if your knee-jerk, I said this last week, if your knee-jerk reaction is, I ain't got nothing to give, that's fine. Take that to God. Say, God, you know everything I got. It's all yours. You gave me all of it. You know everything. Do I play a part in this? What's my part? Let Him, let him speak to you. Second is keep praying on your manna. Your daily bread. God, like, take that to God. What do you need? What are you praying for? What's, what are you asking God to take care of for you? Something you can't do. Lock that down and pray for it. On the 27th or whenever, we're gonna, I'm going to ask everybody to write that down, seal it, 
We're going to put it in a jar. We're going to pray over it for a couple months. We're going to pray over everybody's manna that God would meet our needs. And the last thing, once again, is that you would keep Open Table Community Church in your prayers. Every day, at least once a day. We have, we have a lot of needs, not only financial needs, we have some personnel needs. We're, we're praying for somebody to, to, with a heart to do our kids' ministry, like that this is their thing, that they have a passion for kids. That I was a children's pastor for nine years and an assistant children's pastor for two years before that. And, and it was my heart and soul. I loved it. And I, you know, I poured myself into it. We would love to have that. Somebody that loves kids so much that they, they just want to pour themselves into this thing. Our kids deserve that. And so we're praying for that person. Like just even now, like God, you know who they are. They're out there somewhere. Start stirring their heart and, and drawing them to us. We're praying for somebody to, to do our youth group. We've got some amazing teenagers that uh, need somebody to pour themselves into them and, and to, to lead them. We need tech people. We need, we, we need, we got a few spots to fill. So, so start praying for the church every day, once a day. Set an alarm when it goes off. Just say, God, you know the needs of the church. Fill them. Fill our needs. Keep praying about what God wants you to do. Keep praying for your manna. And keep praying for the church.